It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. Uh, this is the weekly opportunity to, where we bring together uh, journalists from all over the East End to have a sit down and discuss the week's news. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and the website 27east.com. My co-host is Bill Sutton. He is the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Good to have you here in our panel today. Uh, some familiar faces. We have Denise Civiletti, who's the editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. Beth Young, editor of East End, the East End Beacon. Hi, Beth. Hello. And uh, our own Annette Hinkle, who is the Arts and Living editor uh, for the Express News Group. Good morning, Annette. Good morning, Joe. And we know that up where you live, your your internet's a little spotty. So if, uh, if we've already freeze you'll know why yeah. and if the 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 voice breaks up a little now and then we'll we'll know why it's summer on the east end right and the the internet service completely falls apart it's amazing <laughs> um so the other thing summer on the east end and it seems to be something that all of our communities are sharing and that is a water emergency we had the suffolk county water authority visit southampton this past week to declare a water emergency. And I believe it covers the entire East End. I know it covers um, both Southampton and East Hampton towns. Uh, it's a, you know, what's fascinating to me is this is really about irrigation. Uh, it seems like the, the, the biggest part of the problem is people watering their lawns. Um, Beth Young, this, is, this has been a problem for the water authorities for years, right? They, 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 and, and the problem now is overnight watering is creating a problem all of its own. Yeah, I mean, in the old days, they said, you know, water at night because the sun won't, it won't evaporate and uh, or water in the early morning hours. So now it's like everybody's got it into their head, water between midnight and 7 a.m. They have timers set to do that. Um, but it's it's creating a big drawdown on the uh, on the water authority resources. Yeah, and, they and, and making making it, it difficult potentially to fight fires. I think that's. The big consideration, if the water, if as the water takes empty, and there's no water pressure, if there's a fire, um, then firefighters may not be able to uh, to tap into the to the hydrants and and fight those fires, which is a scary prospect. We've we've been through this uh, every summer in Riverhead. Um, Riverhead, I think, is Riverhead has its own water district. It's not part of Suffolk County Water Authority, so it's got its own system and. Every summer, they've been very close to ha not having enough water to meet fire safety needs, for example, um, because, you know, 4 a.m., everybody's sprinklers go on, like you said, Beth, and, um, you know, the, those big water towers that hold millions of gallons of water just drain <laughs> to the point where, you know, the water district superintendents have been uh, fearful that there's not going to be enough water to supply people and, you know, and God forbid if something actually goes wrong with one of them. I'm sorry. I thought I shut my phone. Then oh, um, it's okay. Life goes on. <laughs> then, then uh, you know, it, they won't they won't be able to supply water to people's homes even. Uh, so fortunately, like we've escaped that, right? I mean, that hasn't happened so far. And for one reason or another, Riverhead has not declared a, a water emergency yet this year. I. Mm. Yeah, that that's I'm surprising because they usually have by now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I I won't speculate, but uh, but that's that's true. So I wonder if this is a. I'm I'm just curious. Was there any differentiation made between people who are on like the public county water supply and people who have wells? Like, was there? And you know, I don't know if that does that make a difference. You know, is it is it really? the county water supply that and you know people because of the store that because they store what they're going to what right? they're going to deliver right. to to you and um the but, people that have wells pump it as they go so right and and all of the firefighting all the hydrants are on uh public water supply so i mean to the extent that the water table is getting low i mean new york suffolk county is one of 21 in new york state that's under a drought watch right now um and you know sometimes the water table actually gets low and you know, eventually people could who pump water and, and you know, the water districts especially can because they pump a lot of water um, can run it, run into a problem there. But, um, mm. you know, in Riverhead, I know certain fire districts actually respond to all calls with pumpers now. 
Mm-hmm. Um, like like Jamesport does that because you know they're in kind of a low pressure area as it is, and um, in terms of the public water supply, so they actually go with the, you know tanker trucks, not pumpers. Sorry, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> tanker <laughs> trucks that, that didn't say anything. They always have pumpers, right? Yeah, and you're the firefighter, but it, but yeah. yeah, they respond with these tanker trucks all the time now in Jamesport, um, so that. Because they had a problem fighting a fire in a condo up on the bluffs one one year, a few years back, because of lack of water pressure. Yeah. So now they always do that. So I don't uh, know. You're, you're, you're a you're a firefighter. How often does this come into play? Well, um, I mean, one of the stories that you know I've heard several times from the water authority is, first of all, like compounding irrigation in the early morning everybody gets up in the morning and takes a shower and runs the dishwasher and you know that's the really peak residential use as well and what they say is like the sag harbor cinema fire took place in december when not a lot of people were in sag harbor and no one's irrigating their lawns they could not have fought that fire if it had happened in season they would not have had enough water um so i mean that was a major major fire but Major, major, major fires happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, that's the thing. And Beth, to, to illustrate your point, um, you mentioned about millions of gallons. I mean, at the, 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 the Suffolk County Water Authority held their event at a Southampton storage facility and said, this tank behind us holds about a million gallons of water and it can be drained. It can be full by at midnight and drained by 7 a.m. And the pumps are working overtime. Yeah. just to try and refill it. So, uh, you know, what we should be clear that what the, and, and it's not just Suffolk County Water Authority, Hampton Bay's Water Authority also um, has called an emergency. And what they're asking is a couple of things. I mean, I think generally conserve water, but the two th- specific things they're asking is they, they want people who have uh, irrigation systems to only use it an odd and even days based on your, based on your uh, address uh, to cut it back to, you, you do not need to water your lawn every single day. That That is absolutely unnecessary. And frankly, I think most of the people that we've spoken to who uh, horticulturists, people who know lawns, say that twice a week is really what, you know, enough <laughs> as long as you give it a decent soaking twice a week, uh, that'll get it done. But if certainly people could at least cut back to every other day. And the second thing is not to water between midnight and 7 a.m. Those are the two the two times that and as you said, Beth, I think as you know, that's when homeowners have sort of gotten into the habit of turning their systems. They've set the systems to turn on between midnight and 7 a.m. So they're asking people to switch that. It's much better to to get the water on the lawn either probably I, I would think later in the evening is right. they're, they're recommending between four and nine p.m. Yeah, it's not or to, wait, or to wait and do it at 7.15 a.m. after um, after that night shift. Can I ask but, a question? I'm just curious. Is there any penalties or surcharges for people who use maybe more water than their fair share? Or is that just a, something that the, the Water Authority likes because they make more money off of those clients? I think well, there's been some talk about making zone pricing for I think we did I think they did Suffolk County Water Authority did enact a change where there's a gradual scale for the amount um that people use but you know what I find fascinating well and I was just going to say I mean it's interesting that this comes up in our in our residence section this week we um we have a list of the um well we're calling them the water hogs of the Hamptons but it's it's we have a (laughs) A top 10 list for both Southampton and East Hampton of the people who use um, who use the most water. And, and uh, you know, for a couple examples, um, you know, they're saying a, an average house uses one hundred and thirty thousand gallons of, of water. Um, I'm not um, per year. One hundred and thirty thousand a year. One hundred thirty thousand gallons a year. The top user in Southampton, and I'm not going to name names here. If you, you can go to 27 East and look at the chart, mm-hmm. uses 16,418,076 gallons. They, that's what they used in uh, it last year or in the last 12 months, I guess, is, is how this was figured. 
Um, the next one down was 9 million and then 7 million, 6 million, 6 million, 5 million. Um, just an incredible amount of water. And they figure most of that is, is irrigation. In East Hampton, the, top, the numbers were a little lower. I think the, the top user was a little over 4 million. Uh, second user was 4 million. And, and then it goes down. Bill, were those, were those just, residential uses? Yes. Users? Yeah. And wow. you figure yeah. those are large estates with which with large lawns that are watering, yeah. um, you know, constantly. a couple times a day and constantly and even in the rain and, you know, and all that. And I just think those numbers are just incredible. 16 million gallons. If, if there's yeah. any if there's any good news. Um, we've done this a couple of times over the last few years. And this year, there was the only the one property that used more than 10 million gallons. And I think in the past, we've seen multiple properties cross that 10 million gallon uh, per year. I mean, it's an immense amount of water. Um, I guess the only good thing you can say is that it's going back into the water table. Well, so there is a problem with that. And they're pumping Nitrogen. it out. They're pumping it out in the middle of you know it, near the groundwater divide where there's plenty of water but where they're putting it back into the ground is closer to the embayments so it doesn't have the recharge time it's going straight out into surface waters mm -hmm. i mean most of these big estates are near well, the water i mean let, just step back and think about this so people dump all kinds of nitrogen rich fertilizers on yeah. lawn grass to make it green and grow right so that then they can dump millions of gallons of water, huh, you know, pump out and spray millions of gallons of water, which then carries the nitrogen into the surface water, causing pollution that kills life in the surface water, like marine life. Like yeah. how completely absurd is this? I mean, really just think about that. It, I, it's, for, it's for, for homes that people aren't even at all. Yeah. Well, I wonder, I mean, at what point is there some sort of a, a penalty or, you know, the water be. authority said that they'll have people out looking around to see who's irrigating during the hours they're not supposed to, to educate people, but that's, you know, yeah, I think they enough. may have, they may have the option of yeah. taking some punitive action, but they have, I don't think they're to that point yet. And well, who would, uh, who would take that punitive action though? I mean, Suffolk yeah. County water authority is, is not, I mean, it's a municipality, but it's not a government. It's not the County that runs that it's an yeah. individual operation. So I, I don't know, you know, where you would write code and, and regulations to be enforced to penalize yeah. those people. And Obviously, financial. I mean, these people that are the water hogs can afford to pay pretty much any fine that you throw at them. They do. So they, they, they can afford to pay for the water. They can afford to pay yeah. the fine. Yeah. They, they, pay, they pay a lot more per gallon, but, you know, that's just the right? cost of upkeep of their property, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just to put it into some context, I did a quick search. Um, when we talk about numbers like this, and this happens when we talk about government spending sometimes to sort of lose track. So a million gallons of water would fill a swimming pool 10 feet deep, 50 feet wide, and 267 feet long. So that's a million gallons. So well, you imagine could, you, could, you could do two laps and you could just <laughs> done for the day. That's a lot of water. And then when you talk about 16 million, it's almost... Uh, Pun intended, oh. <laughs> unfathomable. It's obscene, is what it is. It really it is. is obscene. So, so the and heat, the heat this summer has something to do with this, right? I mean, I I think probably um, people who care about their lawns looking green are are probably putting a lot more water on them. Hey, you know, not for nothing. I haven't mowed my lawn in two and a half weeks because I don't need to because it's brown and withery. And I'm kind of happy about that. You know? and anybody <laughs> yeah, as driving, I look out on my dirt. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Look over driving by that has a problem with that can come water and mow it themselves, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, if you water less frequently and more deeply, the the grass grows stronger and deeper roots. The and roots can grow tap deeper. In. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's maybe that really key. New people out here too. You know, you see, I've seen a lot of building in my neighborhood. Maybe there's new houses coming online. Maybe new yeah, people moving out here that. who've never had lawns before and are really excited to make it grow good. You know, I just wonder if there's since COVID, yeah. as we talked before, it seems like there is just more people in general. So maybe people who weren't here and didn't really care about their pay attention to their lawns are now out here and really, you know, on it. 
and try to make them grow. Yeah. I've said for years, I think what we need is a public campaign. I know people who have beautiful lawns are very proud of their lawns, but we have a lot of environmentally conscious people on the East End. We should start a campaign where Bill's lawn, which is unkempt and and brown and because it's not being watered, is something to be proud of. That's a natural lawn that is environmentally conscious. It's not using water. Um, and you put a sign out front that I'm proud of. I'm proud of my brown lawn. Thank brown you. is be- brown is beautiful. Thank <laughs> you, Joe. I'm glad. I'm glad somebody finally sees the beauty. I, I would like to add to that though that like weeds stay greener longer, yeah. <laughs> and they're much hardier. That's why they're, they're that's why they're weeds. I mean, you know, and and, and we're trying some of them to are edible these, too. <laughs> and we're trying to plant these grasses that you know. Let's face a lot of them are non-native. Um, you know, Kentucky blue and whatever, and they just need, uh, you know, more resources. And then, so then what do we do? We like, we, we spend millions of dollars to create more water infrastructure, which in turn needs, requires us to spend mil- millions more to clean up the bay or the river because yeah. of the nitrogen runoff. I mean, it's just, it's crazy and it's obscene. And here's the thing, like a lot of people, I've come to the conclusion, just don't care. Yeah. You know, I mean, they want what they want. And if that's a big green lawn at their, you know, on their, their estate by the ocean, too bad. Um, you know, the water authority has a structured water rate where if you pay, if you, if you use more over a certain threshold, you pay more per thousand gallons. Riverhead is about to implement a rate like that. But to Annette's point, um, there is no like major leap. And so, you know, people who are not, you know, 10 million gallons a year consumers um, are are getting hit as well with the increase. All the money in the world isn't going to create more water in the aquifer. That's the other thing. I mean, we we forget, I think, that there is a finite amount of water beneath our feet that we're drawing from. And I, I, you know, one of the things I have always wanted to, to do a deeper dive into in the paper is uh, how healthy the aquifer is now compared to 30 years ago. Um, do you, does anybody know the answer to that? The- I think it's, it's more of a problem out on the forks in, in areas where there's a very small amount of water. And I mean, the water authority is, pumping water from areas where there's a larger landmass to a lot of those areas, like places like East Marion. There, there is no public water out in Orient. That was a big fight for, for years out here. Um, but Orient has issues with their groundwater and it's saltwater intrusion. Um, you've got saltwater on all sides. It's going to come into the aquifer. Um, Shelter Island, you can't irrigate on Shelter Island. And you know, we're, on, we're on an island too. Um, and, you know, if you look at like islands all over the world, they have to live with finite resources and um, we're not thinking like islanders. I wonder at some point if it's even feasible to say that you could have some type of a limit or even a ban on irrigation of landscaping and uh, irrigation of lawns, at least. Maybe you start with lawns and just say, uh, the water emergency is bad enough uh, that we've that we've got to take this step. I wonder if you could even make that work on the east end. I wonder. If- I was going to say, how do you enforce that? But then I think the answer is easy. You drive around and you see the green lawns, and, and then you turn the water off. Exactly. I mean, you know, yeah. usually money is, you know, a, an increase in price is a deterrent. But we're in this weird economy out here where. You know, as we've seen Money over and over again, cost is not a really a deterrent for a lot of these issues. Well, I mean, so the, I, the, I, the DEC has police officers and the state could charge them with enforcing this sort of thing at some point. Um, if yeah. they ever pass a rule yeah. that says, yeah. That, that's, I mean, one, one thing that the municipalities that be have been place. doing, right, is they've been one thing the municipalities have been doing is they've been um, requiring um, when, proactively, when new things are built, at least commercially, because we don't have site plan approvals, but we do have we do have subdivision approvals for homes, at least in Riverhead. And like you know, they require that 
you plant vegetation that is drought tolerant. Uh-huh. They require that you plant vegetation and limit grasses. I mean, they're doing that through site plan, um, commercial site plan applications and, and through, you know, uh, sub, some subdivision approvals that, with new covenants that they put on, on the property. So but that addresses what, you know, what's getting built, um, not what's already been built. And that, that requires enforcement. That requires penalties and enforcement, which I don't know about other places, but town of Riverhead has not had the stomach to do that. Um, but I mean, another thing that they've required for these bigger users is like a separate shutoff valve for the irrigation systems. So that when there's a water emergency, um, they go around to like the various condo complexes that, you know, together use like 90 million gallons of water a year. Um, and they, and they literally like turn the valve and shut them down so that they can't water. It seems like we're going to have to take, we're going to have to start taking stronger steps. I thought it was notable, uh, to the point that you, you made earlier, Denise, that people just don't care. They want what they want. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Suffolk County Water Authority at their press conference in Southampton this week brought firefighters to make the point that this is a problem for everybody. It's you're, you're creating a problem for the entire community. So uh, they're hoping for voluntary uh, cooperation. Uh, certainly, I, I hope so too. Uh, it's gonna be something to watch. Summers are only gonna keep getting warmer probably. So we're gonna have to worry about this moving forward. This is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. Uh, I am with the Express News Group. My co-host is Bill Sutton. Uh, he's my colleague at the Express News Group. And our panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local. Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Annette Henkel, our colleague at the Express News Group. So, um, Denise, we want to talk about the property, uh, the the site on Elton Street in Riverhead. Um, And there was some movement this week. You've had some controversy in the last couple of months about a proposal for a shooting range that would also have um, a a gun sales uh, as part of that. what, What happened this week with that project? It gave me whiplash <laughs> and vertigo at the same time. Um, so um, the the uh, oh gosh, God, what are we? Doing? When so, you get when you get whiplash and vertigo, make sure you holster your gun. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the latest is that there were a public hearing on the site plan application, uh, a resolution to set a public hearing on the site plan application popped up on the planning board agenda um, that was for the for its meeting yesterday. And um, that p- public hearing had been uh, adjourned at the last minute with a, a room full of people who were there to speak on this matter um, back in June. And they were, they were pretty angry that they didn't get to talk, but, um, all of a sudden, uh, it, it just showed up and nobody seemed to know anything about it, including its town supervisor, who said that, you know, she later on said that she called uh, the chairperson of the planning board and <clears throat> directed that the planning board not have this public hearing because hmm. of this pending legislation that the that town board is considering about, that would regulate these kinds of uses. And um it it was uh, just nobody nobody knew what was going on, including you know with the people in town government. And it turns out that the landlord of that property actually on July twenty fifth submitted um, an, a revised application that eliminated gun sales at that locate at that in that building. Hmm. And um, the um, uh, I guess that's why the planning department staff put it back on the planning board agenda for them to like look at that to discuss and set up a, a public uh, meeting, a public hearing. But again, this you know the supervisor not being aware of that, not having been told that by the planning department, I guess um, you know pulled the plug on that. And uh, last night, uh, I should also mention that I spoke at some length with the the owner of the firearm business to, wants to locate there. And he said he was not aware that that change had been made. Really? <laughs> and, yeah. Well, he's not, it's the landlord putting in this application. So he's like, yeah, first I'm hearing of it, you know? So, um, 
Denise, is, is it fair to say that the gun sales part of that application was the part that was bothering the public the most? Uh, I would say no. I mean, I think people were uh, didn't like the idea of the of the gun range either. You, uh, so this is in a zoning district that is called commercial residential campus, and um, it allows for certain commercial uses. Um, it does not allow for retail except as an incidental use to a permitted use. Um, it allows for indoor sports and recreation facilities. And um, the zoning officer of the town, who is the town building and planning administrator, Jeff Murphy, um, determined that an indoor shooting range was an indoor um, recreation facility. Seems like it would fit the the definition. That would be an an allowed use. Of course, that's his role as a zoning officer. So it was allowed to move forward with a site plan without going for a special exception to the zoning board. So um, that's how that happened. But people who live nearby um, were not pleased with that. Um, the, uh, the, the individual's website advertised all kinds of like tactical gear and things of that nature. And um, there was uh, he, he, he pitched it to the planning board by saying that they were going to have a ta- like tactical training for law enforcement there. And, you know, he said a lot of things that were you know, I could see would be useful for law enforcement, including having this like virtual system where um, they could actually record, uh, which he said he offered to do for for free for the local police, um, that they could actually record like the inside of schools and then have the police go in for training in a virtual environment so that if there is an event where there is an active shooter in a location, they could already be familiar with that location, its layout and uh, the response to it. So, I mean, that seems like that would be an extremely useful thing to have. But um, anyway, so, I mean- Can I I just be a curmudgeon for a minute and say that sounds great, but not in my backyard. And (laughs) as as an Elton Street resident, I don't- Yeah, you you live on I don't live super close to, to, to the site, but- my concern all along was was noise, and and you know I've got sensitive dogs that that when they hear loud noises they they freak out, and one hides in the bathroom and closes the door behind them, and it's a you know and it's a hassle, and to the thought of that going on all all day and you know and all night, you know especially if I'm not home was um, bothered bothered me. I mean I know that they they have noise mitigation, you know stuff and they were claiming that there would be no noise but I, i'm a little skeptical of of that and you know um so i i certainly have not been in personally um and this is you know um and just personally i'm not in favor of that project and in in that area put it put it out you know put it out somewhere you know where there's not a lot of residential houses nearby well, and, and after a lot of people voiced those same kinds of concerns and said, gee, this doesn't belong in a residential area. No. Uh, it's on a parallel track here, the town board, and I'm still stuck with your dog closes the bathroom door behind him. I want to, <laughs> I want to talk to you about that later. But, so, <laughs> but, but after, after this, came, you know, people reacted in this way, um, the town board, then um, they, they had, they started developing a, a new code that would regulate, regulate firearm businesses. The first thing they did was say they didn't want it on Main Street. They didn't want gun shops on Main Street or any kind of firearm business on Main Street. Shouldn't be, you know, we're trying to revitalize, blah, blah, blah. And then that code sort of morphed and grew into a much broader uh, piece of legislation that would have regulated firearm businesses all through the town. And that had a lot of, you know, said what, what districts, what zoning districts they would be allowed in, but also had a lot of things in there, a lot of different kinds of restrictions, like minimum distances from residential zoning, from residential uses, minimum distances from places of worship, schools, all the usual places where, you know, like they don't want to have cannabis stores either. <laughs> um, and so they were, you know, they had a public hearing on that. And a lot of people came to the public hearing and, you know, said, um, you know, they were in favor of this. There were some people that came and said that they were pro-gun shops and they didn't want to see these restrictions in place. But it was pretty overwhelmingly um, in, op- in, in favor of putting these restrictions on. Um, and then that at the end of that hearing, they said, well, 
no, nobody on this board supports this, so we're not going to be moving. We're not going to be moving forward with it. Um, and then they backpedaled a little, like the supervisor anyway said, "Well, we're we're actually going to revise this, and it's going to go to code committee." And then meanwhile, they scheduled this new site plan hearing. This is how I got whiplash. Uh, it's like so <laughs> they they and um, and so and then they yanked it from the agenda. And then last night, the attorney for the applicant, uh, an attorney who's a, a very, a very competent man. He, was, he gets up and he says, you know, I, I don't know. I, we're trying to, we're trying, this is a procedural thing. Having a, a public hearing on a site plan, it's not about the use. And we took that use out. So there's no reason why not to have the site plan. And I met with the supervisor this afternoon and, you know, she agrees. And, you know, he asked for them to, to put this on the agenda. But, but the bottom so line is, it, it sounds like it's a gesture to try and get this project moved forward, but it may not work, right? I mean, it, it may not be enough to overcome the, the public sentiment. Well, I mean, they've got to overcome the sentiment on the board, really, right. which is not necessarily in step with the public sentiment. Um, but, and I don't, and I don't think there was really an opposition on the board for the shooting range there. Mm. So, so, I'm not I mean, sure there was opposition on the board for the gun shop there, actually. But. There are so many uses that people are thinking up these days that our, our, our local codes are silent on. And well, that's really just another are, example of that. Are there yeah. any other examples of a similar facility anywhere, like in Suffolk County, that we know of? Like, I can't, I mean, I'm not a big, I don't follow a lot of, of gun enthusiast sorts of well, the, locales. The, but the I mean, we have, have some, them. What was that? The, po the police have. Yeah, them. that's, that's what, what I mean. Yeah. I mean, we have like the outdoor ranges, like the Maidstone Gun Club, um, right. you know, but 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 something like this. I just wonder, is there is there any other similar facility that we know of, like maybe west of Riverhead? I According to the Riverhead Planning Department staff member uh, I spoke to about that earlier, early on. Um, it, yes, there are indoor shooting ranges mm. in other locations. I don't remember where you told me. I don't know about Suffolk, but, yeah. um, well, but on I mean, Long Island. Law enforcement already has these types of facilities, so I don't know why law enforcement would need mm. a private need person. Well, I'm not sure how they are, though, and this might be the opportunity to offer sort of a high-tech uh, option, but yeah. I, it's interesting to me because yeah. what, you, what's, what you're describing there doesn't seem like it would require a live fire though either so um no but but this facility would allow live yeah fire. yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting stuff you can stay so. this 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 is a project that's going to stay on the agenda for for a little while up there i think we'll keep an eye on it um beth i wanted to to go to you and ask you about what's going on in greenport this weekend uh there's going oh. to be sort of a, a gathering of skaters right yeah actually this is this is happy news. <laughs> well, um, yeah, this the uh, the Greenport Skate Park has been around for a few decades now. And um, uh, I guess this happens in waves like with with ideas for youngsters to do things around here where you get a group of people who are really involved in it for a few years and then it fades away and then are really involved for a few years and then it fades away. But right now there's a really active group of people who's, who are trying to revitalize this skate park at uh, more, uh, the polo grounds on Moore's Lane in Greenport. And um, you, if you're listening to this on Saturday, um, they're having a big festival today um, from, I believe, it goes till 8 p.m. I believe it starts at 11 or so this morning. And uh, it, they're going to have 100 vendors of mostly artists who are or like um, independent manufacturers of skater type things like clothing and whatnot. Um, really independent minded artistic people, uh, skating demonstrations. There's music all day, all types of music. Skater stock. Yeah, it's, it's free. Um, and one of the interesting things that came out of all this is like there's a there's a big um debate in the community in Greenport where people are saying, you know, there's graffiti that like people come in and they do graffiti at the skate park and it's ugly, but graffiti is part of skate culture. So they're really incorporating some really great street artists and gallery quality artists into this festival who are going to do some art at the site that's going to be you know really raise the bar on you know what people think of in terms of well and the graffiti is part of that culture yeah. right? it's part of the skate culture so if you show them how to do it in a 
maybe a non-offensive way. <laughs> yeah. So they're going to have some really, really good artists who are going to be doing stuff live there. There's a mural competition that's going to be happening. And, uh, you know, it's just some community community members. Um, you know, one, one 11-year-old boy posted on Let's Talk Village of Greenport Facebook page saying, you know, with pictures of uh, the rundown skate park and said, you know, I help, please. I want, I want my community to support me. And some business owners said, you know what? So much goes into business development, downtown Greenport. I mean, Greenport is hopping all the time, but what's, what is there for the, for the year round community? What's there for the kids? And, um, and this festival, you know, it's going to have music for people from of all ages, uh, no alcohol, no drugs, um, just, uh, skater fun you know this whole issue has always fascinated me because i know a lot of the communities tried to jump on that wagon and i know there's a skate park at red creek park here in hampton bays there was one for a time in southampton village but it got hauled away i know montauk is getting ready to do a big project to upgrade what what's fascinating to me is this debate always goes falls around there there are detractors who always say well, it's just, I know this happened in Southampton Village. I think they got the upper hand and said, well, it's a place for kids to hang out and trouble. It, ca- it leads to trouble. It's a place for kids to hang out because yeah. it's a place that kids want to be. Yeah. And and if we want to create spaces for the young people in the community, I mean, I mean, this is a perfect example. There's also a really great skate park up in Riverhead, isn't there, Denise? Yes, there is. It's been there for quite some time. It was recently uh, renovated as well. Um, and uh, it is also free and open to the public. Um, it's supposed to be only, like, it's at a town park, so it's supposed to be a town residence facility, but it's over at uh, Stotsky Park. Yeah. And meanwhile, Sack Harbor, Harbor still doesn't have one. That's been, like, <laughs> that, that's been going remember on for back, years. the old days. Oh, my well, God. I think, you know, it's interesting. Part of the issue there is that the park is actually not a public public park. It's actually... A, a private entity with a board and they just have wow. you know i mean yeah. successive generations of kids have begged for a skate park and they have just said no 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 so so mm-hmm. the hooligans had to hang out at the 7-eleven in sac harbor well you know pearson <laughs> high school has some fun stuff you can they got some good rails on, there that's the thing board. i mean it's not like these kids are going to say oh i'll just give up skateboarding then they're just going to be on your rails and on your planters and on your sidewalks and jumping steps hey, and all main that. street in sac harbor is great yeah, I'm, it. I'm not even going to do attempt to pretend that I'm in touch with the young generation out here. But it seems like skating is, is that that whole environment is, is catching on again a little bit. I see I see a lot more teens and young people uh, with the gear and with the, with the skateboards. And I, it seems like it's making a little bit of a comeback. Beth. Yeah, it definitely comes in waves. Yeah. Um, but my my son is 26 and he's out skating every every minute. He's not changing diapers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's we always talk about the lack of activities on the East End and the lack of recreation. We, we're talking about recreational opportunities. I think that's certainly one of them. So uh, it's interesting to me that that Greenport's looking to do that. It's really, uh, it's really nice to see the the community pulled together for an effort like this too. I mean, this is just good. Um, good hometown fundraising. Let's let's fix the skate park for the kids and and put on this festival and, and you know and raise the money to do that. And and it's um, you know it's it's heartwarming to an extent to to see everybody pull together to do that. It's also great to see that it started with uh, a young person who was in in, in that culture. I think that's great. Uh, this is behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Annette Henkel of the Express News Group. Um, so let's talk about, um, so we had a story this week, Bill, that I wanted to talk about, and we're talking about recreational stuff. Um, one of our reporters, Mike, Mike Wright, did a story this week about e-bikes. And I think you mentioned after this was published, it's one of those things that you notice more once you start talking about it. They're everywhere right now. They really and, are. and it's fascinating to me. The, the story, I thought, brought up some topics that I hadn't really, really, it, they hadn't really occurred to me. But these are devices that are sort of in between 
regular bicycles and motor vehicles. And it's causing a lot of confusion. Right. Yeah. In, in, in between a bicycle and a moped, I guess. And they can, um, they can, they can get going up to 30 miles per hour, which, which I think is, is pretty, pretty quick. Um, and there's some discussion on, on state regulations and all that, you know, going on too. It's kind of a, a, a gray area right now for, um, you know, for local cops as to how they can enforce this and, and what they, you know, what, what they can do. Now, these are supposed to be, um, they're supposed, so they're, they're battery operated. Um, and it, it's supposed to be, they're supposed to be bicycles with a, you know, battery operated assistance, but the ones I've seen, there's no pedaling going on. It's people riding them around like, like an electric scooter and not, not for nothing. I do see them a lot more. And <clears throat> I was, I was behind one in, um, in Southampton village the other day and a, you know, a young guy riding it. And, um, you know, I have to say he, he wasn't very aware of, uh, traffic rules and he was kind of getting in front of cars and, and all that. And it was a little, it was a little, it was a little concerning. So um, are, are they, what, what's the rules on those now? Are they bikes or are they, do you need to have a, you don't need a license to operate one, right? I, I think it depends on on how how fast they go. There's there's regulations about um, okay, so nobody under sixteen is supposed to ride these e bikes, um, and and then I think um, so. Helmets are recommended for sixteen and seventeen year olds, but are not required um, for riders of of so called class one and class two e bikes. So there's differences depending on 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 the speed and all that i i don't believe you need a driver's license for it um but but it's just you know it's it's a little i, I think the rules are going to have to catch up with with the usage um what's what's scary to me is they're so quick and they're so quiet yeah that <clears throat> when you're out on the road i mean bicyclists and motorists share the road now and it's and it can be risky but um, it, it's even when, when those bikes can go that speed and, and Mike in his story said that there's there's a common common ways to um, tweak the bikes a little bit to, to get them as fast as 40 miles an hour. And I, I can't and imagine what, what one 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 kid said. He went on YouTube and found the instructions on how to how to switch the the bike to, you know, to to go faster. And, you know, I. I, I, I laughed at that a little bit, but at the same time, it's it, it's kind of it's kind of scary too. Yeah, and not requiring a helmet um, seems seems risky when you're talking about something that goes that fast. But well, they are all all over the road out here right now. Um, we see oh, them on the and, and I think popular with with younger kids and and um, you know Mike talked in his story about one. Um, one 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 kid and an eighth grade student was riding an e-bike to school and the school was concerned and contacted police and um um i, I don't want to get too much into the details but uh you know it turns out that that this um kid was a little less honest with his parents perhaps than than he should have been they thought it was perfectly legal for him to be riding this bike back and forth to school every day. The police stepped in and let them know that it wasn't. And um, I, I imagine he's not doing that um, anymore. But but again, that just speaks to, you know, there there are some rules, but I, I think um, as, as these get more popular, um, then that'll all be hashed out as to what's allowed and what's not. Right now, I think what we, you know, as a public service, what we should be saying is we should be telling parents that if your kids are riding these e-bikes, then you need to, you know, maybe make a call to the uh, to your local police department or whatever, and just make sure you know what the rules are for the kind of bike that they have. Um, and as far as whether, you know, whether they can be riding it, you know, on the street and, and whether helmets are required and that type of thing, it becomes a certainly becomes a safety issue when you've got kids riding these things that can go 30 miles an hour out in, into traffic. Um, if, if they're not experienced drivers um, and don't have a driver's license, I think that can be, um, while I'm certain, certainly most of the time it's going to be fine, but that could be a recipe for, you know, for an accident. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. Something to keep an eye on. Um, I, I feel like we should mention one of the big stories that we had down our way this week, too, which was a terrible, tragic fire that occurred early um, Wednesday morning. It was uh, around 3.30 in the morning in the Noyak area uh, that involved a family of five uh, that were renting the house uh, for a vacation coming in from Potomac, Maryland, and two young women, the, the two daughters in the family, a 19-year-old and a 21-year-old, died in that fire. Uh, the, the mother, father, and uh, an older brother were able to get out of the fire, but um, just a just a tragic occurrence. Um, and we're we're still sort of you know it's important to say that we're still waiting on details. There's there's a lot of details that are that are sort of um, still to be to be released. It seemed that the fire started. Certainly, the fire was in the back of the house. May have started sort of outside. Looks like it may have been an outdoor grill or something. Um, it, it just just a terrible tragedy and, and a, just a reminder of of how quickly um, things things like that you know you've got to be so careful um, with with that that kind of stuff uh, and at the, the it's it's been a real tragedy for the community right and, and it's just been horrible because the, the owners of the home were, were it was a, a pretty um, stalwart couple who you know owned the home so it's like on both sides and then um, the tragedy of these of these this poor family who had just come up here. And I don't think, I don't believe that they had gotten here all that long ago. Um, I think it's the day before, I think. The day before, right. Yeah. Their, um, and it's just, um, yeah, it's just a horrendous thing. And and um, I remember we actually, my, na- my neighbor across the street from us had a massive fire at their house and it was caused by their outdoor grill. I think they had been grilling on the deck and the, the grill had been shut off, but there was some residual heat, I guess, from, maybe the or the grease had dripped down and it just caught all of the siding on fire and the house went up and the next day I told my husband I was like get that grill off of our wooden deck which I think is probably just a little cautionary tale like we don't know you know again what definitely started this fire that has not been determined but I do know that in my own experience having seen my neighbor's house go up in flames because of a grill um, we now keep our grill on our on our dirt because we don't have lawn. Yeah. Put, it, um, put it down the dirt. That's really <laughs> put good. Put it on dirt. So Beth, I figured maybe you have some well, other good tips. Well, I, I mean, I've up. I've been to a few fires like this where it's like you get there and you're not really sure what's on fire because like these things end up like in the in the um um yeah. If you look at, at pictures of, of your deck, if you, if you look the, at pictures of the front of the house, yeah. you see absolutely no fire yeah. damage, but the back is is completely yeah. uh, you know destroyed yeah so if you get down and 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 the joists are heating up and they're in a, an enclosed compartment underneath the deck and then you look the deck is not on fire but what's underneath it is on fire and that goes mm. straight up to this vinyl yeah. siding which is incredibly flammable and uh spreads to the house like just creeping through and you're not even sure it's happening you know and if you if you're you're gonna you know ha- have a nice meal or a drink or two and go to bed it's already burning yeah. is what you're saying. It's, it's burning while been... you're asleep. Oh, okay. And, you know, yeah. that's, that's, you know, I mean, people, people go out and have a barbecue and then they don't think about it afterwards. You know, so. Yeah. And again, we don't know what happened. Yeah. In yeah this I'm not case. saying that happened in and this case. But it's, 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 it's very common. It's, yeah. Occurrence. I mean, it's yeah. clearly something tragic happened. Um, and our hearts just go out to that family who came up here for a vacation mm-hmm. and, and putting your uh, grill on the dirt is a great idea. Yeah. It's, I think yeah. it's something, it's something people should, take away from it is there are some steps that you can take to, to make yourself a little bit safer. Um, we're getting low on time here, but, but, um, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about a story you did this week about a friend of mine and that's Roger Rosenblatt and he's retiring. He's a good friend of yours too. You've, you've known him a lot longer than I have. Yes. Um, um, he's retiring from Stony Brook, Southampton, uh, the, the active faculty there. This is, uh, you know, he's one of those treasures we have in the community. We're so lucky to have so many people in the community who are real treasures. But Roger Rosenblatt, I feel like, is a guy that doesn't get the recognition he deserves as one of the real, real, real great writers of, of our mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And he's been writing for a very long time. Um, he was a, uh, uh, he wrote uh, essays for Time magazine. And then um, he was, when I talked to him, he also described back in, I guess, the late 70s, early 80s, he asked his um, his editor if he could go 
covered children of war. And they said, yeah, go for it. So he traveled to five different countries around the world to see how children were faring in from conflict zones. And um, and one of the interesting things he said when I talked to him was that the fact that you can't, it's the kind of thing you probably couldn't do today because back then time had bureaus all over the world. So he could jump from, from one conflict zone to another and go to a major city nearby and know that he was going to have the support of, of the time bureau there. And that's like a thing of the past. It doesn't happen anymore. Um, so um, yeah, so Roger, you know, figured he, Basically, he and his wife moved into the city and they're, they've set up house there. And um, but I think he really misses the whole interaction with students. He really enjoyed that. And and I have a very weird story. The reason that I, I know of Roger for a very long time is that I was an intern at the McNeil or News Hour and um, in the 80s. And every few weeks we would run one of Roger's essays that he would read. And my one of my first jobs ever was being sent out in New York City to find the visuals to go with Roger's essays. Um, so it's very About odd. And I never met Roger in those days. He didn't come. I mean, he never recorded them in, when I was there. And uh, I would just get the print out of his essay. I'm like, OK, find this painting at the Whitney Museum. <laughs> go buy this poster at this poster shop in the East Village. So I had like this laundry list. It was like a scavenger hunt to try to find images that would work. Um, and he ended up winning a Peabody Award. But he said he won't share that with me, even though I was <laughs> just as responsible for <laughs> But it was interesting because here was a guy who works by words, but he did say that the visuals sort of elevated the essays to a whole different level because he had not really worked in television before. Um, so I'd like to think I had some I had something to do with Roger Rosen. That oh, that's awesome. The great the great thing yeah. about, you know, as a newspaper editor, when you have people like that in your community and you're able to turn to them and he's written some pieces for us over the years for magazines and he's done some different things uh, with us. I remember we did a, uh, we did a chain fiction project one time where writers wrote a chapter and then handed it off to another writer and he was involved in that. I, I just, I, Roger is just one of those guys who's out in the community. Who's just such a, such a big part of it. And uh, we really wish him well in retirement. And Annette's piece on him, I think, is lovely and is available at 27east.com for anybody that wants to find it. The first writing class I ever took was a memoir class with him 30 years ago. And he was so wonderful to his students, really supportive, really, really caring. I I have a feeling he's touched a lot of lives out here in that way because... uh, yeah, just a good guy. Uh, we wish him the best in retirement. We are out of time for this week's edition of Behind the Headlines. Uh, so I want to thank our guests, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group, and Beth Young of the East End Beacon. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you being with us. Thank you. Bill Sutton, my co-host, thank you, as always. Thank you, Joe. And uh, we will see you back next week, same time, uh, for Behind the Headlines. 